It's a privilege to be with you this morning, and uh, I look forward to uh, what God is going to whisper to each of us. Uh, We're in the last Sunday of the series called Overflow, Marked by Love, and Jeff introduced the series uh, at the Gallagher Blue Dorn, right? And uh, we used that image of the yellow bucket, just pouring God's love on us. And we said, one of the things we as a congregation want to watch is be sure that you and I are like getting ourselves under that bucket of God's love and we're receiving God's love. And then everything else he calls us to do will be an overflow from that love. And so for uh, all of September, we've been doing this. And uh, actually, we're doing it because uh, we decided a year or so ago that a church needs to know what it's watching to find out whether it has success, called the missional marks and the outcomes we're going for. And I was so glad when I was sitting in a meeting and our leaders decided these were the outcomes we're watching for. And I was glad that it wasn't Sunday morning attendance or new campuses or how many dollars we're collecting. All those things are important. But I'm really glad that what we're watching for, our missional marks, our outcomes, are these five loves that Jeff described to us. And uh, it's exciting. Let me remind you of the five loves. Uh, The first one is we need to receive God's love. We need to get under that bucket. We need to receive God's love. And not just know it, but feel it deep in our hearts. We need to feel his love. And number two, Ed taught this. We need to love God back. God loves us, and we just we love him back. And that's real clear in the Bible. And then we need to uh, love ourselves. Many of you have told me, I've never heard a sermon before on loving ourselves. And Jeff taught that. And uh, we need to love ourselves. And then we need to love our enemies. And today is the hardest of all. We need to love our neighbor. And today is the hardest of all. Uh, we need to love our enemies. And uh, let me just say a quick word about love. Sometimes I've been told that Orchard teaches love too much. That we ought to have a little more hell and brimstone around here. Uh, in fact, I was sitting at a table not too long ago, and the guy looked at me, and he just simply said that. Dave, we need more hell and brimstone here at Orchard. We need a little fear of God here. And I said to him, well, I don't think your argument is with me. I think your argument is with Jesus. And let me show you the verse. So uh, Matthew 22, verse 34. Hearing that Jesus had silenced the Sadducees and Pharisees, got together... One of them, an expert of the law, this is a church leader, tested him with this question. Teacher, which is the greatest commandment? Where should we put our focus? And Jesus replied, put your focus here. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. Love God deeply. This is the first and greatest commandment. And then Jesus throws in the second for free. And the second is like this. Love your neighbor as yourself. And then there's this sentence that is just amazing. Jesus says this, all the law and all the prophets hang on these two commandments. It's almost like my uh, marriage. If I deeply love my spouse, deeply, I do not have to worry about what the law says about do not commit adultery, don't beat my wife up, don't starve her. I don't have to worry about any of that because why? I deeply love her, and I'm working on her best. And that's what Jesus is saying. Hey, if you deeply love God, and if you deeply love your neighbor as yourself, you're going to more than obey all the commandments. So don't worry about that stuff. Isn't that interesting? His summary. That's a powerful good. So there's. A, so then now, okay, so out of that 
being under the bucket of God's love, out of feeling God's love, now we need to love, our, love God back. We need to love ourselves. We need to love our neighbor. And then my assignment today was teach love your enemy. So then I was thinking, whoa, I don't know anything about loving your enemy. I don't know anything. And so if a teacher doesn't know anything about something, what's the teacher supposed to do? Go to the book. Go to the Bible. So I went to the Bible and I said, let's start with the New Testament. How many verses talk about enemies? And there are 13 that use the word enemy. And so then I said, well, what do these 13 verses say? And so I have a slide on this. Five verses in the New Testament say that Satan is our number one enemy. And we need to be aware of this. Uh, this was a major theme. You know, we don't, we don't operate without an enemy here on earth. We have an enemy. It's a spiritual force. It's Satan. And if you don't believe Satan's real, that's a problem. Because the Bible says he is real and he has some power. Not as much power as God at all. And if you're addicted, sometimes what he'll do, he'll have that chain around your ankle. But then when does he pull that chain and take you down? On the time when it's the very ver- worst for your life here. So you see this in church leaders a lot. It's like, when does this church leader get discovered that he has this evil addiction? Well, it's when he's at his best, when it, things are happening. And then Satan just... So Satan is our enemy. The, the, the One verse names death as our last enemy. That makes sense. Two verses, this struck me, name us as God's enemy. And five verses instruct us how to treat our enemies. Interesting. So I just continued. And let me show you one of these verses that says how we're to treat our enemies. Uh, this comes from uh, Romans 12. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. If it is possible, as far as depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Do not take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath, for it's written. It's mine to avenge. I will repay, says the Lord. On the contrary, and these words are in the, both the Old and the New Testament. If your enemy is hungry, bash him. No. If your enemy is hungry, feed him. If your enemy is thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you will heap coals of fire on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. So I took the 13 verses of the New Testament. I summed it up real quick. I said, one, we are God's enemies because we choose sin and evil. So we're God's enemies. Two, um, our most powerful enemy is Satan here on earth who prowls around looking for who he can devour. And three, Jesus calls us to be filled with God's love under the bucket and to receive his love and then to love our enemies. So let's go here. Who are your enemies? Let's think about this a minute. I, I was thinking, obviously as a teacher, I go, who's my enemy? Who's my enemy? Who am I thinking about? And I thought about people who come to my office and all that. And I thought some of you might think, what's well, that neighbor across the yard who plays their music too loud late at night? Or it's that other neighbor who lets his dog poop in my yard and doesn't clean it up. Or it's like uh, the person who votes differently or the people who tweets differently or whatever. But then I thought, no, wait, let's think about this more deeply. Who's come into my office in the last 30 years and um, wanted to really talk to me about enemies? And let me name a few. In the past 30 years, it could be the person who physically or emotionally or sexually abused you as a child. There's an enemy. Or your child or your grandchild. It might be the business partner who swindled you out of what was rightfully yours and it's taken you years to financially recover it. 
I had that person in my office. It might be the person who gossiped behind your back and did you real harm because it cost you your marriage. It could be the doctor who you, whose reckless and unconcerned negligence, you believe, caused the death of a loved one. It could be the teenage driver who was high on alcohol or drugs and crossed the center line to kill your husband or your friend or your child. Or the cyber bully or the person who posted extremely embarrassing pictures of you on social media and you feel like it ruined your life. And then I had to ask, well, how do you ever come to love those people? How do you ever move from seeing them as an enemy to actually loving them, if those are our enemies? And then I thought about it some more, and I thought, I think God has shown us how. I think the steps are his. And then I started to think about that. If we're God's enemies, what has God done with us that now we should do with our enemies. And so I I was thinking about that, and so I came up with five things I think God has done with us that we need to do with our enemies. And, And let me tell you, after I've taught this the last few weeks in different venues, it's amazing how many people right at this point are thinking about, I do have an enemy. In fact, there's a name in my head. In fact, last week after the service at the other end, um, one person went and uh, began reconciliation with an enemy right here. And um, so, first thing, first step, is we need to be over, we need to be filled to overflow with God's love. That's what we've been teaching all month. We need to be under that bucket, and we need to have God's love as a source of power. In our lives, we need to have God's love as a source of power. You can't do this without His love. You cannot do this without receiving His love and understanding that even while you were His enemy, He loved you. He loved you. And unless you get that deeply and are way under that bucket and that love's just overflowing you, you can't do any of the rest of this. But if you're under that love, you might be able to do this. Number two. This is what I decided, what I found out about God right away. He didn't leave us defined as his enemy. He didn't say, Dave Bartlett over there, he's my enemy. What did he say? He took me out of his enemy box and he put me in this box called beloved child. And I thought that's the first thing we have to do with our enemies. We can't leave them in our enemy box, in our minds and our hearts. We can't leave them there and say, yeah, you know, Bruce, he's my enemy. No. Bruce, he's loved by God. He's a child of God. Jesus died on the cross for him. Maybe he's a hurt person who's hurt me, maybe. But we need to get him out of our enemy box into another category in our own lives. And that's not easy to do. Uh, And it's not the funnest thing to do, and it's not by nature what we do. I had a granddaughter, Bailey, before she went to heaven. And uh, starting at about age five or four or six, I don't know, uh, she started going through this phase where um, anything that didn't go her way, she would go, I hate you. I hate you. I wouldn't take her somewhere. Grandpa, I hate you. And of course, her parents are not going to let her get away with that. So they said, Bailey, you may not say those three words. And so then the next time something comes up, she just goes, hate, hate, hate. Hate, right? Kids get around it, right? Because what the deal is, they want to keep them in the same category. 
right? And you and I are just like Bailey. Just like Bailey. We want to try, but it's so hard, right? But when we do, something amazing happens. I'm going to read you uh, three paragraphs from Good Housekeeping. It's not a magazine I read all the time. <laughs> Joan Becker. On, on, on a June morning in 2009, Joan Becker's 24-year-old son, Mark, walked into the Applington Parkersburg High School weight room and fatally shot his former football coach six times. A town legend lost his life that day. Ed Thomas, 58, had led 34 years of football teams to victory. In 2008, he led his community on a quest to restore the football field after an EF5 tornado wiped out nearly a third of the homes in Parkersburg. After the shooting, Ed's wife, Jan, and their two adult sons, Todd and Aaron, built on his legacy, urging everyone who came to console them to also comfort Joan and her husband, Dave. They said Ed would have wanted it that way. We need to pray for the Becker family, too. Todd told a Sports Illustrated reporter in 2009, they need just as much support as we do. See what the Thomases did? They didn't leave them in that enemy box. They said, they're not our enemies. Even the murderer is not our enemy. We have to put them in a different box. In the weeks that followed, this is from the magazine, cars streamed between the Thomas and the Becker homes. They gave our community permission to respond to us in the way that they wanted to and took away any barriers that made the community uncomfortable, recalls Joan. We were blessed to have people that poured out compassion and kindness on us. Both of our refrigerators, the Thomases and the Beckers, were filled with casseroles. And on the day of her husband's funeral, Jan arranged for the Becker family to say goodbye to Ed in private before anyone else got into the funeral. Wow. By then, Joan and Dave felt like they'd been hugged by every person in Parkersburg. They had looked into the eyes of teens and parents of fellow church members and the Thomas family, and they had said over and over again a million times, we are so sorry, we are so sorry, we are so sorry. And they felt like they should say it a million more times. You see what the Thomas family then did? Do you see how the world took notice? They are not our enemies. They're loved children of Almighty God, and we're going to honor honor Ed by changing the category, changing the conversation, changing who gets the casseroles, changing who gets into the funeral first. We're not going to leave them in the enemy box. Now, something important here, though. In, In March, this is still in the article, in March 2010, Mark was convicted of first degree murder, and he would never be paroled. That brings us to point number three, which is very important. We do not ignore what justice and safety require. Even though we love our enemies, we don't ignore what justice and safety require. So uh, uh, Todd is a friend of mine, and he worked hard to be sure that Mark, um, even though he's not an enemy, even though I need to love my enemy, the world needs to be safe from Mark. He's got a mental illness. The world, need justice needs to be done. And God did this with us, right? 
Even though he took us from the enemy box and put us in the beloved child, he said, justice and safety have to be handled. Somebody has to pay. And who paid? Jesus. It cost God, his son, to move us from the enemy to the beloved child of God. And he said, my heaven has to be safe. So people who go to heaven need to have the righteousness of Jesus. So if you have an enemy, and I want to say this carefully, God says you must love them. It doesn't mean you've got to go visit them. It doesn't mean if they abused you that the right answer is to let them take care of your children. There needs to be safety and justice even as we love our enemies. God demonstrates that. Another magazine following the tragic Amish school shooting of 10 young schoolgirls in a one-room Amish school in October 2006, reporters throughout the world invaded Lancaster County, Pennsylvania to cover the story. In the hours and days that followed the shooting, a different and unexpected story developed. In the midst of their grief over this shocking loss, 10 elementary girls were murdered The Amish community didn't cast blame. They didn't point fingers. They didn't hold a press conference with attorneys at their sides. Instead, they reached out with grace and compassion towards the killer's family. The afternoon of the shooting, an Amish grandfather of one of the girls who was killed expressed forgiveness towards the killer, Charles Roberts. The same day, Amish neighbors visited the Roberts family to to comfort them in their sorrow and pain. Later that week, the Roberts family was invited to the funeral of one of the Amish girls who had been killed. And Amish mourners at the murderer's funeral outnumbered the non-Amish in attendance. It's ironic that the killer was tormented for nine years by the premature death of his young daughter, and he never forgave God for her death. Yet after he cold-bloodedly shot ten innocent Amish girls, the Amish community almost immediately forgave him and showed compassion to the family. In a world at war and in a society that often points fingers and blames at others, this reaction was unheard of. The reporters didn't know what to do. Many reporters and interested followers of the story said, how could they forgive such an action? Here's the sentence from this article. The Amish culture closely follows the teachings of Jesus. Let that soak in. Doesn't mean he doesn't have to pay. Doesn't mean there's not great grief. But Jesus calls us to love our enemy. Number four, love means we seek what is best for them, not what is easiest or most comfortable, but what is best for them. This is hard. Uh, Most of you know that our family uh, had this tragic accident Two years ago, Ben, Charlie, and Bailey were killed. 19-year-old kid driving the pickup truck that crossed the highway. His fiance in the truck. As I've taught about this for the past two years, a lot of you have come up and said, Dave, how about the kid? How about the young man? Have you reached out to him? How do you feel about it? How's he doing? We've not been able to publicly say much. He could have been defined as an enemy. But the first words I ever heard Aaron say about him, we were sitting with our attorneys, you always have to have attorneys, 
And uh, Aaron said, we do not want to ruin his life. And our attorneys, you could just see on their face, like, wow, this is something. We do not want to ruin his life. We want the best for him. Hmm. So with attorneys involved, they told him not to communicate with us in any way. And uh, so I sent him a letter, his family, several copies, and him hoping one would get to him. And he sent back through his attorney, uh, to through our attorney, that uh, he really, really appreciated the letter. Because uh, we had said, we want the best for you. We don't want this to ruin your life. We want you to move forward. And uh, he let us know that he had watched my speaking at the gathering. He would watch the funeral. And on the one-year anniversary of the deaths, a uh, beautiful flower thing came from he and his wife now. And they said, uh, we're thinking of you. We're praying for you today. Hmm. Number five. We go as far as depends on us. If it is possible, as this is from Romans 12, if it is possible, as far as depends on you, live at peace with everyone. And that, as far as depends on you, has really helped me. Because when you lead a church like this over 30 years, uh, some people are going to choose to define me as their enemy. Because we do this, or we do that, or we make this change, or we do that. And people get emotionally riled up. And so Dave's our enemy. And so uh, what I've discovered over these years is I need to love enemies. I need to care for people, whether they agree or not. But there's a point of which I can only go so far. One time uh, someone wrote me a letter, and uh, by mistake I showed it to Lynn and my wife. And Lynn said, Dave, you need to call the FBI. Uh, I did not call the FBI, but this guy uh, was telling me how God was going to burn down our house and hurt our family because we had done this thing. And I can only build a bridge so far, halfway. And then if the person chooses not to build the bridge back, that's not my issue. That's not on me, right? Even Jesus says, as far as depends on you, love your enemy, reconcile. Five steps, we th- I think we see in God. Be filled to overflow with God's love first. Do not define people as our enemy, but as someone who God loves. Do not ignore what justice or safety require as we love our enemies. Seek what is best for them and go as far as depends on you. Now, final thought. The older I get, the more I'm understanding the function of time. That if somebody hurt me yesterday, and I'm reeling from that today, this may not be the day to try to do all the inner work about loving my enemy. I may need a week or a month or a year. I may need that. But here's what we've discovered. Uh, Some of you have been hurt 30 years ago. And what you need is the day to deal with it. And today might be the day. One of the uh, men who started to reconcile last Sunday... It was a 30-year-old hurt. 30 years. So if you've been holding somebody in your enemy compartment for that long, or even a year or two or three, this might be a day you need to um, 
begin to do the work to move them out of that compartment. Let's pray. Father God, uh, thank you so much for uh, the truth of your word on so many important topics. This idea of forgiving our enemy is uh, really important as we follow Jesus. And some of us struggle with loving ourselves, and some of us struggle with loving our neighbor. In fact, most of us do, and struggle with uh, loving you back. But this one's really hard, loving our enemy. So, Father, I pray you would uh, help us with this. And uh, maybe the most we can do is name that enemy and uh, start to uh, pray for them. Uh, we love you, and uh, we hope you. We ask you to help us with this. Now, as we sing these last two songs, help them be a time where we can think deeply about you and your love for us and uh, what you're calling us to do. In Jesus' name, amen.